0: Everybody doing all right? There we go. You can hear me. Hey, happy Sunday. Everybody grateful for the sunshine this morning? Pastor was saying in first service, usually we're begging God for rain. Now we're like, God, please just let the sun come out today. I've like almost forgotten that it gets really hot here in certain seasons. It's like it's going to sneak up on us this year. Hey, we're so glad you're here in church this morning. Thank you for being here today. Um, If you are new to the bridge, we just want to take a moment and we really want to welcome you specifically and say thanks for spending your morning with us. It means a lot to us that you're here in church this is a room full of people that call the bridge church home but we want you to know that even if this is your very first time you're among family today thank you for coming if you have any questions if you want to find out more about the church we want you to know that we would love to meet you so i want to give you just a personal invitation come by the connection center right after the service The connection Center is to your right as soon as you go out this first set of exit doors say hi to our team that's there they're happy to greet you welcome you answer any questions that you might have Above all else, we want you to feel welcome here and feel like you're among families, so thanks so much for being here this morning. Not only that, but if you are new or newer to the church, we want you to know about a thing called Connecting Point. It's happening next Sunday night at 6 p.m. right here at the church. It's actually outside in the foyer, and we would love for you to come. We have child care taken care of for your kids that are fifth grade and under. We would love for you to come. You can find out more about the church, the heartbeat of the church, the vision, and the mission of our church. You can also meet our team. Just really find out how it is that you can not just come to church, but really be the church alongside of us we would love for you to come and be a part of that and we would love to host you and take care of you that night so please um, sign up at the connection Center or on our website to join us because we'd love to have you if you're part of the bridge family can we put our hands together this morning and welcome all of our guests awesome. Well, hey, we have a special announcement we want to make later at the end of service to help you who are looking to, you know, further get plugged in and connected and stay connected with the church. So hang out to the very end of service today. Be sure not to rush off too quick because we would love to tell you more about some good things that are happening here in the church. This morning, I have the privilege of getting to share the word with you today. And, you know, last week, Pastor Gary started a new, not series, but a group of messages called Things That Matter. Things That Matter. Things That Matter. And we're getting into this group of messages, we're not really calling it a series because we're not going to do these messages in consecutive weeks, but we'll come back to this from time to time throughout the next few weeks and months. And we want you to know that these things are things that we feel like God's Word declares very, very boldly that we should know and have truth working in our life from these messages. So last week, Pastor Gary talked about things that matter, and he began to talk about offense, You know, Jesus talked about how offenses are going to come. Every day of our life, we're going to have the opportunity to be offended. But not only that, we are going to have the opportunity to offend others. Now, I know all of us would say, Yeah, I see it all the time. I have the opportunity to be offended. But we'd be slow to admit that, hey, sometimes we have the opportunity to also offend others. It happens all the time. And we have to be aware of these realities and know what to do when those opportunities come our way. In the same way, I want to talk to you about something today that also affects us every single day of our life. Today, instead of talking to you about offenses, I want to talk to you about a biblical approach to how to handle temptation. Temptation. Now, temptation is one of those things that's common to all of us. We're all very much familiar with it. But sometimes we don't like to talk about it because when we talk about temptation, it brings us face to face with our failures. It brings us face to face with our insecurities and our weaknesses and when we think about temptation we think about all the times that we've stumbled and all the times that we've fallen. We don't like to talk about temptation. Now I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand but if I were to ask you to raise your hand and ask you this question how many of you struggle from time to time with temptation if we were being honest we would all raise our hand and say yep that's me because we all struggle with it but while we had our hands in the air if I then said okay Four or five of you, real quick, tell me what it is that you struggle with the most day in and day out. We would all put our hands down real quick and probably curl up in a ball and hide because we don't want to talk about the things that we struggle with. And sometimes that's part of our problem. We don't want those things that stay in secret and stay in the dark and stay behind closed doors to have any light shed on them. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But it's important that we know that if we are going to face temptation, Scripture lays out a plan and a path to where we can not just get better and increase our willpower, but we can overcome temptation. How many people would say, I want to get better at overcoming temptation that I deal with all the time? We can all grow in this. We can all get better at this. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. Now, I think it's also important that we understand that Scripture lays out what temptation is and where it comes from. Because if you think about temptation and it immediately reminds you of all of your failures, then maybe it's time that you shifted your perspective when it comes to temptation. See, I don't think that God wants us to walk through life continually failing in the temptations that we face. What if we, as the people of God, shifted our perspective so that when we face temptation, we would recognize that temptation is opportunity dressed up like opposition. I'm going to say that one more time. Temptation is opportunity dressed up like opposition. And I'll explain to you what I mean in just a few moments. But let's look this morning at what temptation is, number one, and secondly, where it comes from, okay? James writes this in his, his book, and James was, of course, the pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. He writes these words in James 1. Look at verse 12. It said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now, verse 14 But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Verse 15, finally, then when desire has conceived, now listen to this formula, when desire has conceived or temptation has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, that's pretty heavy, but that's the reality of the choice that we have in front of us when we face temptation. Now, let's talk about what temptation is. Every time you see the word tempt or temptation in the New Testament, it comes from this Greek word, which is perosmos. It means a trial or test of one's fidelity, integrity or virtue. So every single time that you face a temptation in your life, you have to understand that temptation is nothing more than a test. When I was in school, I didn't much care for going to class. Anybody else with me? Like I didn't enjoy going to class and listening to the teacher talk for an hour. When I was in high school, we had block schedules, so like 2 hours, no thanks. I didn't enjoy sitting there and listening. I would doze off. I would move, you know, my mind would just go in a bunch of different directions other than what the teacher was saying. But when it came time to the test, I usually did a pretty good job with the test because when I found out when the test was coming and I knew what I needed to study for, I would get to the day of the test and I would usually do pretty well. I was a pretty good test taker because if I know what to prepare for, then I'll be able to pass the test. Here's the thing you have to understand about temptation. God has laid out in his word how to prepare for the tests that are in front of us. And if you can be prepared and knowing that every day of our life we are going to face tests, you won't walk into temptation fearfully. Instead, you'll walk into temptation or you'll see temptation confidently knowing that God has prepared a path for you to be victorious and successful. Can somebody say amen to that this morning? Temptation is nothing more than a test and you can pass the test if you're prepared for when the test comes be a good test taker when it comes to temptation. Now, another thing we have to understand is that we are blessed by God when we endure temptation or when we pass the test. But here's a very, very key principle that I want to point out to you, and James says this so clearly. We must also understand that temptation does not come from God. Temptation does not come from God. That's exactly what James wrote out there in James chapter one. Now, some of you are already thinking theologically, wait, hold on a minute. There's some places in Scripture where we see Christians, believers, even Jesus face temptation. Are you saying that God's not the one who tempts us? Yes, God does not tempt us. However, that does not mean that God will not allow you to walk through seasons or walk down paths where your faith is tested from temptation or by temptation. We'll see that in the life of Jesus, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But here's the reason why we see this truth of God is not the one who tempts us. Because temptation is always a place where we come face to face with making a decision that is either good or evil. And God is not at all associated with evil. There is no evil in him. God and evil are like oil and water. So when evil comes before our face, we have to understand that God is not the one who puts it there, but he may allow us to walk down a path where temptation is a test that we must pass in order for our walk With God to be refined. Does that make sense to everybody? God is not the author of temptation, He's not the author of evil. And when we sense evil in front of us and it comes in the form of temptation, it's not from God, it's simply a test to refine our character and our walk with Him. We have to understand that. And then finally, temptation, and I want you to get this because I think that this will really hit home with some people. Temptation is less about me choosing right or wrong. Temptation is more about me choosing life over death. Now that sounds really heavy. Because when you think about temptation that you deal with on a daily basis, it might just feel like a small decision, like a little insignificant thing. And when it's over, you might feel ashamed of the decision that you made. But in the moment, it doesn't feel like it's life and death. It simply feels like it's right or wrong. But if we reach a place where we understand that temptation is a choice to choose life over death, we will begin to choose life so that our life doesn't go down this downward spiral where temptation becomes sin and sin turns into death. Temptation is not just choosing right from wrong, it's choosing life over death. I'll illustrate that to you further here in just a moment. Now, I want to touch on this really quick to save some time. But the Apostle Paul wrote something really interesting in 1 Corinthians 10. He said in verse 13 that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. In other words, there's no temptation that you or I will face in this life that other people have not also faced. And the thing that's so interesting about that is sometimes when we look at our own weaknesses and our own failures and the times that we failed the test, we tend to take comfort in knowing, well, there's other people that struggle with this too, so I'm not the only one. It's okay. No, it's not okay. It means that we are a part of a sinful humanity. But in the same way that other people might struggle with the thing you struggle with, you also need to know this. There are other people who have overcome the thing that you struggle with, and you can overcome it too. You can overcome it too. But listen to what he goes on and says here. He says, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Other translations say beyond what you are able to bear but with the temptation or the test will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear that temptation so look real quickly and understand that in the midst of temptation even if you feel weak even if you feel like you haven't been faithful to God in the midst of temptation God is always faithful to you God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear and not only that but God in the midst of temptation will always make a way of escape. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. We're going to unpack that further. Now I want to explain to you the different kinds of temptation and sin that we as humanity, we as human beings, face in our lives. Because John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, he was later the Apostle John, John the Beloved, John wrote about these things. And John wrote several books. He wrote, of course, his gospel and then later on he goes on and writes uh, his, his epistles later on. And we have to understand that John unpacks this idea of temptation and sin in our humanity very, very well. So I want to unpack this for you, and let's just take some time to focus in on what John has to say about this. Look at 1 John chapter 2. It says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now let's just stop right here for a moment. Do not love the world, do not love the things of the world, because if the love of the world is in me, then I am not of the Father. Now, those are pretty heavy words. The same guy, John, that wrote that also wrote John 3.16, which we all know. That says, for God so loved the world. So hold on. God loved the world, but we're told here not to love the world. Which one is it? If I could break this down and explain it in the simplest of terms, I would say this. What God is trying to tell us is that we are to love the people of this world the same way that he did, but we are to despise the value system of the world in which we live. Let me say that one more time. We are to love the people of the world the same way that God did, but we are to despise the value system of this world. That's what it's supposed to be like if we are followers of Christ. Now, sadly enough, a lot of us do the exact opposite. We begin to hate the people in this world, but we fall in love with this world's value system. That's a whole other message for another day. We're not going to get into all that. But we as Christians have to know that God is not calling us to fall in love with this world. We're to store up treasure in heaven there's a life that is to come that will be far greater than the one in which we are living so let's read further verse 16 says for all that is in the world and now John goes into this writing and he begins to tell us that sin and temptation can really fall into three specific broad categories in humanity he says all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes And the pride of life. In verse 17, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now remember I told you that temptation is not about choosing just right over wrong. It's about choosing life over death. Look at what John says there. He says, And the world is passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. When we face temptation, we have to understand that there are two paths before us. We can either go with the lust of our flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We can succumb to our weaknesses and temptation, and we can choose a path that leads to death because this world is fading away. Or we can choose to do the will of God, deny ourselves, and chase after God's best for our lives, and we choose a path that is eternally full of life. Temptation is not just about choosing right over wrong. It's about choosing life over death. Does everybody see that this morning? All right. Now, John goes on and he says that the sin and the temptation that we face in our lives can really be thrown into three broad categories. He says that all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's talk about those three things for just a moment. I want to unpack these if I can. The first thing he mentions there is the lust of the flesh. What is that exactly? I think if you are a follower of Christ and you've been walking with God for a while, oftentimes when we hear that phrase, the lust of the flesh, the very first thing that we think of is sexual sin or sexual immorality. And that falls into that category. Sexual sin, sexual immorality certainly falls into the category of the lust of the flesh. But it's so much more than that. See, the lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel. It's the temptation to feel good, the temptation to feel better, the temptation to experience a sensation or a pleasure that becomes an idol in my life. Now, many of you will hear that and you'll say, well, what's wrong with feeling good? What's wrong with feeling better? What's wrong with feeling certain sensations and certain pleasures? And the answer to that question is there's nothing wrong with it. When it's done within the context of the boundaries that God gave us so that he could bless those things that he gave us. But for a lot of us, what we do is we take these things that were meant to be blessings by God and we run in our own directions, pursuing our own fleshly lusts, and suddenly something that was a blessing is now bondage because we are practicing those things outside of the borders that God gave us. Everybody with me so far? Now we could take the most obvious one of these, we talked about sexual immorality. Maybe you didn't know this, but God gave us sex. Sex was God's idea. And it's really quiet because people think that I just like cussed in church or something. (laughs) Let me just say this word one more time because it's all throughout the Bible. Sex, God gave it to us. Somebody please say amen to that. And you know what else? God meant for it to be a blessing in your life. But in order for it to be a blessing in your life, he gave us boundaries within which we should practice it. It should be done within the context of covenant relationship or as we call it, marriage. That was God's best. Those are the boundaries and the borders in which he gave it to us. And he said, if you will partake of it within those boundaries I gave you, it will be a blessing to you and it will be fruitful and fulfilling. Somebody say amen again. Okay, we'll move on from that one. But see, the lust of the flesh is so much more than that because what it is is when we have a sense or a temptation to feel and that which was created to be a blessing becomes a bondage. How about this one? What about food? Man, I'm grateful to God for, like, T-bone steak, okay? Anybody, like, just love steak? I know you're not a vegan or if you're lifting your hand right now. Like, I love me some good meal, Like, I got southern blood running through my veins, okay? So I love, like, down-home southern cooking. I love all that good stuff. Like, I like red meat. I'm just, like, there's my confession. I love it. But it's probably abuse of that blessing if I begin to partake of it at every single meal. And not only that, but if I eat portions that are like way too big and outsized, then pretty soon what's going to happen is this thing which was a blessing to me that's brought a certain amount of fulfillment will become a bondage to me when I realize, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done to myself? Now, I know that that's a silly example, but there are people in the world that that is their issue. Because something that was meant to be a blessing has now become bondage. Here in America right now, we have an opioid epidemic that is an enormous problem in our country. And most people don't even realize how big of a problem it is. People that are addicted terribly to prescription drugs. Now, I don't say that to put condemnation on anybody, but here's the thing. There are people who today have an addiction to a drug of some kind, and it all started because of a physical pain they had that was not wrong, but when they went to the doctor, they said, Doc, can you please just give me some relief? And the doctor prescribed something that brought relief, but suddenly one pill turned into three pills and one bottle a month turned into one bottle a week and an epidemic or an addiction set in to the point where something that was designed to be a blessing has now become bondage. We see it with drugs, we see it with alcohol, we see it with sex, we see it with food. Something that was given to us as a blessing suddenly becomes bondage. Why? Because we abuse it outside of the context from which God gave it to us. We can also easily fall into the lust of of the flesh, which is the temptation to feel. The temptation to feel. Now let's move on to the second thing. When you talk about the lust of the flesh, the second thing is the lust of the eyes. This is when my eyes see something that tells my mind I need to have it. And what I now have in my mind makes its way down to my heart. And the thing that I covet, Pastor Gary talked about covetousness in January, the thing that I'm now covet becomes an idol in my life, and I will move heaven and earth. I will even step into sinful lifestyles to get the things that my eyes tell me I need to have. We could use a whole lot of different illustrations about this, but the one I kept thinking of earlier was, you know, it's like you're the person that has the 10-year-old car that's paid off. It doesn't cost you anything. It runs great. You've never had any problems with it. That thing is a blessing to your life, and you look at it every day, and you're like, I'm so grateful for this automobile I got because it gets me from point A to point B. It's low maintenance. It costs very little, and you're super content until your neighbor comes home with a new car. And that thing that is a blessing in your life, that thing that you have suddenly is no longer fulfilling because you've cast longing eyes on something that belongs to somebody else and you look at that and say, well, what do I need to do to get my hands on one of those? And that thing that you see with your eyes makes its way into your mind and what goes from your mind makes its way down into your heart and suddenly it becomes this idol and you can't find fulfillment in life unless you get that thing that your eyes have been cast on. It's the lust of the eyes. We talked about how the lust of the flesh was the temptation to feel. The lust of the eyes is the temptation to have. I see it and I need it. I got to have it now. I want it. I want it. I want it. The temptation to feel, the temptation to have. And then finally, the third thing that John talks about is he says that we all struggle with the pride of life. The pride of life is the temptation to be. It's the temptation to be elevated, to be noticed, to be admired, to be lifted up above other people. When we look at those things, it's interesting how many people will move heaven and earth to to climb to the top of that ladder, even if it means kicking other people down to the bottom of it. You ever worked with somebody like that? Some of you are like, yep. There's a lot of us that will invest and spend our whole lives trying to climb to the top of some ladder that when this life comes to an end, it will be absolutely meaningless. It will be here today and gone. Gone. But for a lot of us, that's the thing that we strive toward. We strive to build our own kingdoms. We strive to build our own empires. And the reason we do that is because there is a pride of life that we are so, we are so, just, what's the word I'm looking for? We're so prone to falling into that trap that we would be noticed, that we would be recognized. In a sense, it's almost a temptation to be worshiped by other people. And John throws these sins into three different categories and says, we as humanity, we all deal with this. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about that. I think that we can all identify how maybe we've struggled with one of those, if not all three of those areas. Now, there ain't nothing good to say about the devil, but let me just say this. He doesn't have any new tricks because when it comes to those three temptations and those three kinds of sin, he has been using those three temptations and those three kinds of sins from the beginning of time. He still uses them in our lives today, and we are all still prone to falling for the same tricks. He doesn't have any new tricks. He's still throwing those same three things at us. We see it all throughout Scripture, and I want to show it to you this morning. This will help you to understand the ways in which we fall in these three areas. Look with me real quick at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We see in Genesis 2, actually, that Adam has been told by God, okay, look at the garden. You're in the perfect situation. It's paradise. Everything you need is right before you. You can partake of all of the trees. Partake, subdue the earth, and you'll have dominion and authority in the earth, but There's this one tree right here in the middle. And if you partake of the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. Pastor Gary's taught about this a lot. In the original writings, it's die, die, which means that you will die spiritually and you will die naturally the day that you partake of that sinful fruit. And so what we see is that right after that command is given from God to Adam, God then creates Eve at the end of chapter 2. The very beginning of chapter 3, suddenly here comes the devil, the serpent, into tempt Eve. Look what it says, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, that's what the enemy likes to do right there when you think you're following after God. He likes to step in and try to question God's truth in your life. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? and the woman said to the serpent We may eat of the fr- of the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God has said you shall not eat it nor shall you touch it lest you die and then look what the serpent does in verse 4 then the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die Isn't that the way that temptation looks right there? I've built my life on the truth of your word, God, until the enemy comes in and tries to tell me a lie. And in that moment of test, in that moment of temptation, I have to choose between will I comply with the truth of God's word, will I believe the lie of the enemy. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now watch what happens here. Verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, John said that we all struggle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Look what happens in verse 6. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, right here it appeals to her lust in the flesh that says, This will be satisfying to my physical body if I partake of this fruit. First trick the devil comes with, the lust of the flesh. He tempts her, Your flesh will be fulfilled if you simply partake of this fruit. That it was pleasant to the eyes. Eve sees it. She sees it. She says, I see it. i got to have it. It was pleasing to her eyes, not just her flesh. Now suddenly this thing that she sees is something that she's consumed with and she's got to have it. And a tree that was desirable to make one wise. Right there is a the representation of the pride of life. It will elevate my understanding where I'm more like God. Right now, because I haven't partaken of the fruit, I'm limited in my understanding of good and evil. But the devil comes along and says, if you partake of this, you will be like God. He doesn't want you to because he doesn't want you to know what he knows. And right then and there, the devil appeals to Eve through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Same old tricks. The same thing he's been using since the beginning of time, he still uses even today. It goes on in verse 6, and it says, She took of its fruit, and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate it. Then verse 7, and this is what's so interesting. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. Finally, in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Isn't that exactly what we do when we fall into temptation? We see the temptation in front of us. We make the bad choice. We choose death over life. And suddenly we are just covered in guilt and shame and condemnation. And even though we might call ourselves Christians, when we find ourselves in those moments of falling into temptation, what do we do? We don't run to God. We run from God. I can't tell you how many times in my life I failed the test, and when I got to the end of it, even though I know that I'm a Christian, even though I believe in Jesus and I believe that he lives, his Holy Spirit lives right here on the inside of me, I still, if I succumb to temptation, find myself running from God instead of running to God for mercy and forgiveness. That's what we all do, because it's our sin that separates us from God, and that shame and guilt is the thing that makes us want to run away from him. Now if we were stopped right here, this would be a really bad ending to the message because it's such a downer. They fail, they partake of the fruit, they're cast out of the garden eventually and pretty soon it's that sin that separated them from God and they go through a life that was not what God intended for them to live. I don't wanna go through life living a secondary life, a secondhand life, a plan B life. I wanna go through life figuring out everything that God has for me and stepping into it victoriously. Anybody else? So how do we do that? there's good news. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you know what that means? It means that everything that you and I face in this life, Jesus faced it too. And even though the first Adam might have succumbed to the temptation, the second Adam didn't. Because when Jesus came, he said, I'm about to settle the score. Not only am I going to conquer death and hell in the grave at the cross for you, but I'm going to show you how it is that you can be victorious when you face temptation. I'm going to show you how it is that you can pass the test. Even when you feel weak, even when you feel like the devil's got you right where he wants you, I want you to know there's a better way, there's a better plan, there's a better path, and you can be victorious even in the midst of temptation. It's good to know that Jesus faced everything we did, because if he could conquer it, that means that I can too. Somebody say amen to that this morning. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't have to run from God. We don't have to run from God. doesn't matter where you've been what you've done. We don't have to run from God. We can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now let's look at where Jesus overcame these three things. We see that Adam and Eve succumb to it. They fail in temptation. Let's look real quick at Luke chapter 4. It says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those, day, in those days he ate nothing. He fasted. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. You can underline that in your Bible because that's like the biggest understatement in all of the Bible. He didn't eat for 40 days and he was hungry. Verse 3 says, and the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now look what the temptation is that the devil throws at Jesus. If you are the son of God, we know that you've been fasting out here for 40 days. Command these stones, turn them into bread to satisfy your flesh. What is the temptation? It's the lust of the flesh. The devil brings it right to Jesus hundreds of years later after he had already done it to Adam and Eve. Now, Jesus was hungry, he had just come out of a fast, so what would be wrong with Jesus wanting to eat? Well, there wouldn't really be anything wrong with Jesus wanting to eat and satisfy that hunger and that need that he had. It's just that God did not give Jesus, his son, supernatural power to turn stones into bread for self-satisfaction. He did it so that he could open blind eyes. He did it so that he could open deaf ears. The power that Jesus was given by God was not just for himself, it was for you and it was for me. And the temptation here is that you will satisfy yourself with these miracle-working powers. And I want to tell you that Jesus overcame that temptation for not just himself but also for us so that we would know what to do when we found ourselves facing the lust of the flesh. Look what it is that Jesus says here. Jesus said to him, it is written, verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Now look at verse 5. So Jesus passes the first test. Hmm, I wonder what the devil's going to come with next. Verse 5, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Notice again, it says in verse 5, he showed him, he could see with his eyes, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. This was the devil bringing forth the temptation of the lust of the eyes. He says, you see it? You want all of it to be yours? Here's what you got to do in verse six. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to you, Who I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all of this will be yours. Jesus has to deal with the same thing we have to deal with, the temptation of the lust of the eyes. Will I sacrifice who I am for the sake of possessing the things that my eyes see? Jesus answered and said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Both times, how does Jesus overcome the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes? It is written. If you face temptation on a daily basis and feel like you lose the battle most of the time, here's the key to your victory. It is written. You got to get the word of God so deep in here that as soon as you face temptation, you know exactly what to spit back at the devil. The devil is cunning. He's got all kinds of good tricks. They ain't new tricks, but they're good tricks. But we can come back at the devil with the word of God, and we can overcome the temptation that we face if we know what is written. Amen? Now look at verse 9. The third thing. Gee, Jesus passed the first two tests. I wonder what the devil's going to come with next. Verse 9. Then he brought Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down from here. Now, this is a temptation of the pride of life, and i got to explain this one a little bit further. The devil takes Jesus up on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, this must have been a high elevation. you got to get this picture. Basically, the two of them are standing up there. And in my mind, I picture the people standing out in front of the temple. And what what the devil says is, if you'll just throw yourself down off of the, the, the peak of the temple... Scripture says that the angels will come and watch out for you, that they'll guard you, that they'll catch you, they'll come and make sure that you're safe. That's what the Word of God declares. And in this picture, the thing that I see is Jesus abusing the power that God has given him to show off. Now, if Jesus had actually done this, and follow me for a moment, if Jesus had actually done this, can you imagine him falling from the temple, calling upon the angels who would come and rescue him to make sure he was safe, and all of those people gathered there would then see, oh my gosh, this must be the Son of God, and they would fall down and worship him. Let me ask you a question. What's wrong with Jesus being worshipped? Well, nothing. Jesus was supposed to be worshipped. But the thing is, the greatest symbol of worship toward Christ was not Jesus showing off and abusing the power that God had given him. The greatest symbol of worship was Jesus laying his life down on a cross and being worshipped because he gave and paid a price that you and I could not pay. And Satan is tempting him to take on the pride of life and step out in his own authority and abuse the authority that God has given him. Jesus faces the same three temptations as Adam and Eve. Jesus faces the same three temptations that we face all the time. And of course, we see how it is that Jesus responds in all of this. Verse 12, And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And Jesus comes back again with, It is written. The thing that I love about this is at the end of this passage in verse 13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him at an opportune time. Other passages say that the devil departed and ministering angels came and ministered to Jesus. See, a lot of us, when we fail the test of temptation, we run off in guilt and shame. But if we can learn to shift our perspective, and if we can pass the test of temptation, one of the things that we'll find is once we get through that test, suddenly we begin to grow closer to God. We begin to grow closer into the things that he's calling us to. And temptation is simply a test. It's opportunity disguised as opposition, and God wants you to pass the test. He doesn't want you to succumb to the temptation every time. He doesn't want you to wander in the wilderness of temptation. He wants you to pass the test so that you can live victoriously, so you can grow closer to him and so you can grow closer to the thing that he's calling you to. Adam and Eve failed, but guess what? For you and for me, Jesus passed the test. He overcame temptation so that we could too. So what's the take home real quick? How do we, pass, how do we overcome temptation? What are some keys to overcoming temptation in our own life? I'm going to give these to you really quick if you're taking notes. Number one, how do we overcome temptation in our life? We have to feed our souls with the word of God. I'm going to say that again. We have to feed our souls with the word of God. When Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh, he comes back and he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We have to get to a place in our Christian life where his word is not something that we get into legalistically because we think we have to do it to make him happy. Can I tell you something? Your Bible is not just a historical, theological, philosophical document. Your Bible is an opportunity to open the pages and have a relationship with the one true living God. And there are so many times that we let that opportunity pass us by and what we don't realize is that when we sit down and we open the word of God, we are pulling up a chair at his table and partaking of the bread of life that brings more nourishment and more fulfillment and more satisfaction than any fleshly desire we could ever face. But we have to get to a place where we feed on the word of God and when we look at the truth that's in God's word, we say, I would rather have this truth than find out how good those things taste in the world. See, Jesus was so full of the Word of God that when Satan came, he knew exactly what to say because the Word of God meant more to him than any fleshly fulfillment ever could. And you and I can do the same, but it's up to us to take advantage of the opportunity. When Jesus faced the lust of the flesh, it is written, it is written, it is written. I remember when I was in Bible college in Australia about 11 years ago, the college that I went to was a part of a church that even still today writes some of the most prolific worship music in the world, And there was a team of songwriters that, you know, they wrote songs full-time. And I remember one of the staff pastors, his job, one of his jobs, was to oversee the final words of the songs before they were published. So the songwriters would come to the pastor and they would say, here, check out the words, read through them, make sure that doctrinally, theologically, like they're sound, and that we can publish these words. And there was a song that came out about 11 years ago. It's called Stronger. And the the words in the course say, you are stronger, you are stronger, sin is broken, you have saved me. And then it goes on and it has this lyric, it says, it is written, Christ is risen, Jesus you are Lord of all. That's the words to the song. And the guy that wrote the song, he asked the question of this pastor, he said, is it okay to write a song that has the phrase, it is written? That sounds like a funny worship statement, it sounds like a funny praise statement to God, it is written. He said, is it okay if we publish that? Is it okay if we say that? And the pastor said are you kidding me? There's power in it is written. Jesus overcame temptation with it is written. When you look at the word of God, it is, it's truth bound in leather. It's on the page. And when we take it in, we look at it, and we understand that what has been spoken is truth for our life, and there is no lie of the enemy that will ever take over the truth that God has given us in his word. And we have to understand that it is written is a powerful phrase, but we got to know what's written if we want to overcome Temptation, his word has to become bread to us, more satisfying than any fleshly temptation. Real quick, number two, if we want to overcome temptation, we must learn that just because we see something doesn't mean we need it. we need it. Just because I see something with my eyes doesn't mean I need it. You know, Pastor Gary talked about covetousness. It's amazing the trails that we will run down to get the things that our eyes tell us we need to have. And then pretty soon we find ourselves sinning. It's like compound sin, one thing on top of another. And a thing that was originally a blessing suddenly turns into a burden. Why? Because our eyes told us we needed to have it. We began to meditate on it in our mind. It made its way into our heart. And the things that our eyes tell us we need suddenly have become idols in our life. So how do we deal with that? Let me just read this to you real quick. This is in 1 Timothy chapter six. Paul wrote these words. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We have to get better at being content with the gifts that God has given us. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. I love this equation, godliness one plus contentment equals great gain. A lot of us think that godliness plus contentment, it's like one plus one equals zero. We think that godliness plus contentment equals great loss, because if I go with godliness and if I settle for contentment, I'm going to miss out on everything that the world has to offer. And we think that God's word is telling us that one plus one equals zero. But what God's word is saying is godliness, being sufficient, knowing who I am in Christ, chasing after God, being in his word, plus contentment, looking at what God has given me and say, God, thank you for your gifts. I desire nothing more except for the things that I need. One plus one equals so much more than two, because godliness plus contentment is great gain. Listen, if you look at the things in this world and think that you're missing out because you don't have them, listen, you will never come in last by putting God first. You will never come in last by putting God first. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What was he talking about? Food, clothing, shelter, the things that we need One of the biggest mistakes many of us as Christians make is we take that and we think that all these things that we want will be added to us. Sometimes we mistake the things that we want for the things that we really need. And as a result, we have no concept of what contentment really is. I'm not saying God doesn't want you to live abundantly. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless your life. I believe that he does. But when I recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from my heavenly Father, when I look at the things I have, when I have enough, I look at it and say, God, thank you for blessing my life. I choose to be content with what you've given me. I won't let my eyes deceive me. I won't let my flesh deceive me. I choose to live in contentment with godliness because that is great gain. Number three, really quickly, we must understand that we were created to build God's kingdom and not our own. That's how we overcome the pride of life. And the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Jesus said, pray these words in the middle of that prayer. He said, thy, ki- thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've been praying this systematically in my life every day since the beginning of this year. And when I pray it, one of the things that I'm beginning to understand is that what, what is becoming a revelation to me when I pray it is that every day I need to remind myself, God, my life is about building your kingdom and establishing your kingdom and not mine. There are a lot of us that will invest our whole life in building our own kingdoms and our own empires. And guess what? It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Jesus went on and said, for yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Our lives are all about God's kingdom, not our kingdom. Our lives are all about God's power and not my power. And our lives most specifically are all about God's glory and not my glory. We have to understand that God put us on this earth to establish his kingdom, not build our own amen Amen. and then the final thing this morning I added this one in because this stood out to me in my daily readings this week if we want to overcome temptation we have to avoid living isolated lives pastor Nick talked about this two weeks ago I'll tell you what we see this all the time in church life and especially in a community that is full of commuters Where we get so busy and we have so much going on with the kids and with work and with family and with extracurricular things, we get to this place where we can become so busy that we isolate ourselves from the body of Christ and people that God intended for us to have relationship with. We do it all the time. We see it all the time in church. And I was thinking about this, and this is what Proverbs 18 says. It says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. Oftentimes we become isolated and we don't have anybody to stand with us when we face temptation. And there's another passage very quickly that I want to read to you. We use this one all the time when we perform weddings here in the church. I know many of our pastors use this. And I've always read this in the context of dating or marital relationships. But listen to this. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord, I love this phrase, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. We quote that all the time when we're doing wedding ceremonies, and as I was reading through that earlier this week, it occurred to me that's not necessarily talking about marital relationships. It's more talking about friendship than anything else. And I love that idea of the threefold cord, but here's the thing. See, a twofold cord is stronger than just one single cord. And you and I supporting each other and standing with each other and encouraging each other, that's a good thing. But a threefold cord, when you and I come together and Jesus is the third cord of of our relationship, let me tell you something, that is an unbreakable bond. And a lot of us are trying to do our life, well, it's just me and Jesus, but we don't realize that God wants to use other people to be the third cord that will add strength to our lives. Don't isolate yourself from the relationships that God has intended you to have because you're stronger with them. A lot of us, when we succumb to temptation, we have these things that stay behind closed doors in the dark and we don't ever want anybody to shine a light on them because we'll be embarrassed, we'll be guilty, we'll be full of shame. But what you might need more than ever is a friend to come alongside you who loves you, who is gonna be, you know, keep things in confidence, who's gonna come alongside you and say, hey, listen, let's open up to each other. Let's shine some light on each other's lives because we can encourage one another but then we can bring Jesus into the relationship and this cord will not be easily broken. Many of us as Christians isolate ourselves and we miss out on the strength that God intended for us to have because we don't have any Christian friends. It's one thing to have friends, but it's another thing to have friends who are bringing the third chord into the mix and Jesus be at the center of our relationship. Let me tell you something, there's a reason why a threefold fold cord is not easily broken. It's because Jesus ain't going away. If you want that cord to break, you gotta be the one to walk away. I know we've talked about temptation this morning. I know that's a heavy subject. I want to tell you something today. God intended for you to walk in victory. God didn't want you to wander in circles in the wilderness all your life, running into the same temptation and continually failing the test. God created you to be victorious. So get in his word. Get around his people. Understand what it means to be content. And let's be a victorious church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I pray that this morning you would encourage us, you would strengthen us, and you would show us how to pass the test. God, I pray that we would be so passionate for your word that when we run into temptation, we know exactly what to say, we know exactly what to do, and we know exactly how to pass the test. I pray today, Father, that you would strengthen your people because you have called us to live victoriously. You've called us to walk closely with you, and you have called us to a great calling that's in front of us. You want to refine our character You want us to grow in our integrity so that we can be everything you've created us to be. Strengthen us today, God, not according to our own willpower, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that works within us and the power of your word which we have hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. Strengthen your people. Strengthen your church, I pray in Jesus' name. Just real quick, with every head bowed, every eye closed, this is just a private moment for everybody to take an inventory of your own life. If you're here this morning... You hear all this and you say, you know, when we talk about temptation, I think about all my failures. And because of my failures, I know that I'm so far removed from a relationship with God. I want you to know this morning, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, or what state you might find yourself in today. God loved you so much in the midst of your sin that he sent Jesus to this earth to go to a cross and pay a price that you could never afford so that your sins could be forgiven. It's sin that separates us from God. And God knew that, so he sent his only son. Jesus went to the cross to pay that price, but then three days later, God raised him from the dead, conquering death and hell in the grave so that you and I would not have to face it in eternity. If you're here this morning and you feel far from God, I want to tell you that God is right there next to you and he's so much closer than you think he is. And he's just waiting for you to make a decision to follow him. If you want to pray a prayer this morning to invite God into your life and make a decision in your heart to follow him all the days of your life, I believe that you will experience salvation, redemption, forgiveness, and atonement, and you can step into a relationship with God. I want to invite you to pray a prayer right now. Repeat these words after me. Mean it with everything inside of you and decide to follow Jesus with your life. Would you pray these these words right out loud? Say, Dear Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe You are the Son of God who died for me. I believe that you were raised from the dead so that I could live forever. So today I choose to follow you. I believe you are my Savior, and I will make you the Lord of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Very quickly, I'm almost done. Pastor Ann is coming right now. I want to say this to you. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, that's the best decision that you could ever make, but it's just the first step in your journey. We want to help you in your journey. We want to help you on your path. We have a simple gift called the next seven days. We'd love to give it to you. It'll help you walk this thing out over the next few days, and there's two ways you can get it. We're going to have some prayer teams right down here at the end of the service, right in front of the platform here. They're here to pray with you if you have a need to encourage you and stand with you. But if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, come up to them and let them know, I prayed that prayer, I want to follow Jesus. They'll give you that book to help you out. No strings attached, we don't need anything from you, but we're here to help you in any way that we can. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, you can stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors outside. Let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. They'll give that to you and help you in any way that they can. We love you. We're so, so proud of you and grateful you made that decision. Thank you so much. If you have made that decision in the past, can we welcome some new people into God's family this morning? Awesome.
1: Awesome. Can we give Pastor Zach a hand for that great message this morning? That was awesome. Well, right now, we are gonna worship God with our giving. And as we prepare to do that today, you know, we just wanna say thank you. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. And we also wanna remind you that your giving truly is making a difference in people's lives here at The Bridge. We have recently been hearing so many stories of how people's lives have been changed and transformed by God here at The Bridge. We've heard about, people coming, finding relationship with God, and as a result, entire families coming to God. We've seen families restored, marriages restored, people healed physically, emotionally, God is doing incredible things in the lives of people here at the bridge. And you know, just as a side note, we love hearing the stories of what God is doing. And we want to remind you, we have these prayer cards out at the Connection Center. These aren't just for prayer requests. These are also for you to write answered prayer because we want to hear what God's doing in your lives. God is doing amazing things in people's lives here at the bridge. It's so exciting. So as you give today, being encouraged and know that your giving is helping make it possible for ministry to go forth here that is touching and changing people's lives for all eternity thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving and you can see the different ways that you can give on the screen behind me and in just a moment the ushers are going to be coming to receive this morning's offering And we're going to check out our church news together. But we just want to ask that during that time, if you could just remain seated, it will greatly help out the ushers. But also Pastor Zach will be coming at the conclusion of service to share a very exciting announcement with all of us as a church. And you don't want to miss that. So hang tight. God bless you as you give. And let's check out church news together.
2: Good morning everyone and thanks for being in church with us today my name is Ashley and I want to give you a very special welcome to the bridge we hope that you and your family enjoyed the service this morning and that you feel right at home we would love to meet you today and help you get connected in the church especially if this is your first time there's always a lot happening at the bridge and we want to do our best to help you be a part of it so let's check out church news and see what's coming up
1: Here at the Bridge Church, we value passionate praise and worship, and we believe in the power of prayer. That's why this year, we will be continuing with our worship and prayer nights beginning Wednesday, March 6th at 7 p.m. I want to personally invite you and your family to come as we join with Bridge Youth for a powerful night of worship, and we pray together for our church, our community, our nation, and your individual needs. Child care will be provided for all children, infant through fifth grade. So make your plans to be here for Worship and Prayer Night, Wednesday,
2: March 6th at 7 p.m. We look forward to seeing you there.
0: We highly value our Spanish-speaking community here at The Bridge. In the coming weeks, we're looking to expand our Spanish translation team so that we can
1: bring translation to anyone who needs it every Sunday. If you are bilingual and
0: fluent or have experience with simultaneous Spanish translation, we would love to talk to you about joining the translation team. Stop by the Connection Center after this service and sign up. We will contact you and give you all the details about how you can join the team and be a huge blessing to the church. Thanks so much for helping us reach as many people as we possibly can. Connecting Point is coming up next Sunday evening at 6 p.m. If you are new to the church and you're looking to find out more about the history, vision, and heartbeat of the bridge, Connecting Point is the place to come. Maybe you've been a part of the bridge for a while now and you're ready to take your next step and serve somewhere in the church. We would love to meet you at Connecting Point. Or maybe you haven't quite put your roots down yet, but you feel like it's time to say that the bridge is my home church. Connecting Point is the place to come. We want to meet you and help you take your next steps in church life. So make your plans to be here next Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Childcare is provided for all kids, infant through fifth grade. We'll also have complimentary coffee and snacks. This is a very casual evening that lasts about one hour, and we want you to come. Just sign up at the Connection Center before you go today so that we can prepare for you. We hope to see you next Sunday evening at 6 p.m. at Connection.
2: about the church we invite you to stop by the connection center before you go take a few minutes to come say hi we want to do our best to help you get connected in church life and answer any questions that you might have for more general info or to listen to past messages you can always visit our website thebridgechurch.tv finally if you made a decision to follow Christ today please come see one of our prayer teams and get your free copy of the next seven days you can also stop by the next seven days desk before you exit the building please let us help you start your walk with God. Thanks again for spending your morning here at The Bridge. We love being in church with you.
0: Awesome. Hey, just two quick things before we go. First of all, tomorrow night is Bridge Women Monday night. It's at 6.30. Tomorrow night, right here at the church, all the ladies are invited to be here. And even if you can't get here right at 6.30, please come. And it's going to be an awesome night. There's always room for more. And we would love for all the ladies to come. I promise you'll have a really great time tomorrow night. And then the other thing, this is kind of a fun announcement for us because we've been working on this for a while. And this week, we finally get to tell you about it. We have a brand new Bridge Church app, and we want you to get it. And there's a different way, or there's a specific way that you can get it very quickly. You can simply text the keywords, the Bridge Church, all one word, app, to 77977. We have just redeveloped our app, and we put this out here. It's got a full listing of all of our connect groups, everything that's happening in the life of our church. And one of the other features that this app has is as soon as you download it, it enables you to, to... pick different areas or ministries that you can receive notifications from and stay up to date with what's happening in the church. So this might look like a lot of instruction right now in this moment. Maybe you want to take out your phone and just take a quick screenshot of it so that way you'll know what to do later on. But this is one of the easiest ways to stay in touch and on top of what's going on here in the church. It's one of the most convenient ways to sign up for different things. We can also alert you of things that are coming up. So like when kids camp is on its way, we can inform you about early bird pricing so you can take advantage of that and all kinds of good stuff like that. But we want to make Make sure that you have, number one, the ability to take the bridge with you everywhere that you go and that we can just be in communication with you and you can access everything that is the Bridge Church right there in the palm of your hand. So take advantage of that. You can take a picture and take care of that later on if you'd like to do that, but we hope you'll do that because it's a really great tool that will enable you to really stay connected here at the church. Hey, we hope that you've enjoyed being in service today. Anybody enjoy being in church today? Awesome. We love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Have an awesome week and we will see you next weekend.